Welcome you again. If you haven't, uh, if you maybe came in late, uh, we started our morning that way. I'd like to continue that um, theme just of saying, man, we're, we're glad that we're all here and glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time or maybe you have been visiting with us for a period of time, I hope that this morning uh, will be characterized or the character of this visit, um, as I would hope the character of the other visits will be something that you feel like um, we're an inviting, welcoming, warm and friendly church. That's something that we work at. It's something that's important to us. I think that matters. Um, we are not a performing church. I don't perform. I have nothing to, um, I don't have any talents. Like I, I don't tap dance or anything like that, and I'm not going to do that. I, uh, my job, really what Crosspoint has called me, or what the Lord has called me to do, and Crosspoint has um, uh, enabled me to do, is to free my time up during the week, to dive into God's word, to um, peer into it, to claw at it and to pull out what, um, what we need to hear on Sunday. So that's my job. It's a pretty simple job. And that's all I'm going to do this morning. We're going to go to God's Word. Um, uh, this, if, uh, people have all manner of Christian backgrounds and Christian experiences. And uh, just give you a heads up about what's going to go down here pretty much every Sunday is we're going to dive into this book. It's, 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 um, it's pretty simple. Um, it's not easy, but it's simple. So you'll need your Bible this morning. I'm going to begin with prayer, or I'm going to continue our morning uh, by praying right now. I want to pray specifically for another church in our community. We do that each week, um, almost without fail. Not praying because there's some sort of crisis, but praying that God would do something great there as we pray that he would do in all the churches in our community. So we're going to pray for another church. We're going to pray for how we spend our time together in these next few minutes. Let's pray. God, this morning we want to lift up another church in our community. We want to pray for Wesley United Methodist Church. I want to pray for Chris and Melissa Yost. Lord, I am um, uh, so thankful for this work that you call um, folks to in, in pastoring and preaching. It's something that I um, treasure, and I'm also uh, well acquainted with the rigors of it and the challenges and the the uh, difficulties of it, and I want to just pray for Chris right now in these next couple of moments. Lord, I want to pray for Chris as a worshiper first. Lord, that he is enjoying you. I want to pray that his uh, efforts and his work are fueled first and foremost by a desire to know you and enjoy you more. Lord, I pray that that um, fuel, uh, that uh, motivation will, will lead him to climb into your word each week, Lord, and that he will come out uh, with good stuff. And Lord, I pray that for, you, for Wesley United Methodist's sake, for Chris and Melissa's sake, for the sake of his family, I pray that his first and his best goes to his family as a husband and a father. And Lord, I pray that behind that, that Wesley United Methodist is, is expecting that his first and his best goes to his wife and children, and then right behind that comes the church, Lord. And I pray that the blessing there on a people will be that a people are equipped to enjoy you, equipped to walk in worship, equipped to be salty and bright and aromatic in our context and our community. Lord, we pray for great things for Wesley United Methodist Church, and we're thankful for the chance to lift them up this morning. Lord, I pray for our next few minutes. Lord, I pray that you would... Uh, speak uh, clearly in these next few minutes. I pray that your word uh, would be um, faithfully exposed. I pray that the Holy Spirit will illuminate and equip. And Lord, I pray that we will walk away enjoying you more as a result of our time together. I'm entrusting this time and these efforts and these words to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn to the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> Did I already say that? I've already said that. Did I? No. Okay. Wade, give me the no. Okay. Thank you. Turn to the book of Ephesians. Specifically, we're going to Ephesians chapter 5 to begin. We're going to be spending our morning just in one verse, if you can believe that, in one verse in chapter 6. But I want to give us a little bit of context. We've been out of the book of Ephesians the last few weeks uh, with the holidays. We've had um, Advent, and we left off in the middle of a series of sermons on the household code, which is what this passage is called. The household code, uh, in the strictest sense, uh, begins in chapter 5, verse 22. 
And it goes all the way through chapter 6, verse 9. But I want to pan out a little bit. I want to pan out a little bit to get the character and tone of the household code teaching. I think I sent an email out this week asking you, I actually gave you a couple of fill-in-the-blank questions to chew on and consider. And I'm going to, in the next few minutes, hope to briefly reacquaint us with this passage, reacquaint us with the code um, to address the character of our movement within the home, okay, in these various roles, and then lastly, the motivation. And then we're going to climb into our passage in chapter 6, beginning in chapter 5, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The uh, air around the household code teaching is about moving wisely. That's where this passage began in verse 15. Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. In a lot of ways, what we've been doing in October, a little bit of November, and what we're picking up here in January is we're talking about what a wise Christian home looks like. Okay, Wisdom is the air. Okay, and then the motivation. I hope you noticed uh, the last verse there in the passage that I read. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Before I talk about motivation, let me talk about the character of this movement together in the home. It's fuel, or the guide there, the goal there is wisdom. Okay? The character of this movement in our various roles is that we're submitting to one another. Okay? There's some very surgical and specific roles of submission within the home. But the character throughout the home for every role, husband, wife, parent, child, and later you'll see masters and slaves, we're going to treat as um, employees and employers and employees sort of uh, application. The character of that is mutual submission. And the ultimate motivation is in that last verse there in 21, out of reverence for Christ. That's why we want to have ordered, godly wise homes where people are moving in the ways that God um, commands us to because of, out of reverence for Christ. That's got to be the motivation. If there's any other motivation, it's not worship. Let me just let me, let me point that out. If there's any other goal for having an ordered home and having a great marriage, any other goal for having a great relationship between parents and children, and it's not out of reverence for Christ, it's not worship. Is it a bad thing to want to have an ordered home just for an ordered home's sake? Absolutely not. But don't call it worship if it's not out of reverence for Christ. That is the whole motivation for what we considered in October and November and what we're considering this morning. Out of reverence for Christ. The reason a wife submits to her husband isn't because he's deserving. It's because she's doing out of reverence for Christ. The reason a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church is not because she's lovable. It helps when she is, but that's not the motivation. It's out of reverence for Christ. The reason children submit to their parents is not because their parents are these wise sages that never make any bad decisions and never tell them to do anything that's not perfectly wise. They do it out of reverence for Christ. That's the reason a child submits to their parents. Today we're going to be moving into the fourth relationship. It's guided by the same principles, wisdom, submission to one another, the motivation of out of reverence for Christ in verse 4 of chapter 6. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's going to be home base for us this morning. And just to give you a map for the morning, what we're going to deal with in these next few minutes is I'm going to, first of all, uh, just consider the address. Who's this to? Who is this written to? It might seem kind of obvious, but nothing, we don't want to treat anything as obvious. And then there's two commands we're going to deal with. Okay? The address and then two commands. The first command is a negative, sort of a negative command. And the second command is a positive. Okay? So that's the map for the morning. It's simple. We're going to unpack the, this verse and see where we land. First of all, the address. This is um, instruction given to fathers. Now, 
There are some of my guys that I study that I read that believe that mothers are implied in here. I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with considering that mothers are implied uh, in their context 2,000 years ago in the ancient Ephesus, ancient Roman Empire. Uh, the husband was the head of the household. Okay, we believe in a Christian home. That's true now as well. So I don't, I don't think that we have to land on this being a cultural address. Okay, for a few reasons, I believe this is a very surgical address to fathers. First of all, in verse 1 of chapter 6, children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Paul has the concept and the notion of parents because he just used the word. Children obey your parents in the Lord. And then in the next verse, honor your father and your mother. That tells me, at least if I'm going to be, you know, a... um, Inspector Clouseau or something, or Sherlock Holmes. You don't have to be Sherlock Holmes to think about. Wait, he has a recognition of parents, first of all, and secondly, of mothers. And here he's speaking to fathers. I don't want to make the mistake of making a beeline to fathers and mothers there if Paul is specifically and surgically and strategically addressing fathers. And I believe that's what he's doing here in speaking to fathers, a very specific reference to fathers. I'll just tell you right now, in the life of our church, 14 years, coming up on 15 years this summer, a theme for us as a church has been to have eye contact with men. If you've been here for a period of time, you've likely gotten wind of that. We want to have a very specific address to men. And this morning is fitting in that theme as we address, I believe, as Paul is addressing, as God is addressing through Paul, fathers. Fifteen years ago when we came here, Christy and I and a few of the other folks that are here now, we're all part of this uh, sort of initial season in the life of our church and can attest to this. On given Sunday, we were over in that building over there. That was the worship center. This thing didn't exist. We're over in the worship center. On a given morning, given Sunday morning, uh, almost without fail, what I saw more often than not was a couple who'd come through the door with a guy that would have his hands in his pockets, Okay, And a gal, his wife, would have a Bible that looked like it had been through combat. And I mean in good, a good way. It looked like it had been well used and it was cherished. It was do- adored. It had like doilies and stuff on it with handles. You know, she's carrying this thing and she's got bookmarks and marks a lots and um, little notes and stuff poking out of every side of it. And man, you can tell she's wearing this thing out. And homeboy's got his hands in his pockets. And we realized right off the bat, man, that's a burden for us as a church is that we want to address homeboy. Man, I'm thankful for homegirl reading her Bible, wearing that thing out and putting a doily on it. I'm thankful for all that. But in the life of our church, we want to address the men, not exclusively, but especially. And man, this sermon fits. It fits with the character of this church. It fits with the goal that we have of really mobilizing men to be what God has called us to be, and in this case this morning, fathers to be what God has called fathers to be. I believe it's a very surgical address to fathers. There are two commands. We're going to spend a moment considering the negative, and then we'll spend a few minutes considering the positive. The first command is, in the Greek, it's an imperative, and that's um, the way I think that might help us sort of bring out the sense of a Greek imperative is I'm going to sort of rephrase the passage and put a little tag on the front. That's not an unbiblical tag. Don't, don't, get, don't uh, be fearful that I'm trying to add to God's word. I'm trying to bring out the tone here. Okay, here's this first command. Fathers, thou shall not provoke your children to anger. Okay, to bring out the sense of the gravity. Fathers, thou, let, let's, let's, let's go King James on it. Thou shalt not. Let's add a T on the shall. Just so we get a sense, oh man, this is a serious Command for fathers. This has some gravity. Fathers, thou shall not provoke your children to anger. The word provoke is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's a, a, a collection of two different words, para, which is like around, and then orge, which is the root word for anger. It's, it even sounds kind of like anger, orge. And the, the word is perorgizo, and it means to make angry. Okay, to provoke someone to actually be angry. Um, we, 
we have a few cats. We have one inside and we have two outside. I've never been a cat person, but I've really learned to enjoy these cats. But one of these cats inside is named Daisy, and this is Daniel's, like, best friend. And I, something about cats, I just like to get on their nerves, you know, and I like to provoke this cat and poke this cat, just poking the cat. Like, I'm not hurting it. You don't have to go calling the Humane Society or anything. I'm not hurting this thing. I love this cat. But I do like to poke this cat until I'm really on his nerves. And that's kind of the sense of what I, what I think might be going on here. But I think it's more than that. I think it's more than just poking. And let me just point out, I don't see any fathers, like, sitting around poking your children. Like I do Daisy. Okay? So we're going to spend a few minutes trying to explore what's going on here. One of, one of the things we have, a helpful tool here in, when we're studying Ephesians that we really haven't used yet, but it comes in handy this morning, is the book of Colossians. Okay, The book of Colossians is believed to be a source document for the book of Ephesians. It's an earlier letter that Paul wrote that seems to be something that he uses as a reference when he's writing the book of Ephesians, because there's lots of carryover. So just look over um, a couple pages to your right. To the, you can keep your finger in Ephesians, but look over a couple pages to the right to Colossians chapter 3. We're, we're going to explore this provoking thing. We're going to figure out if it's just poking a cat. What are we talking about here? Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Fathers, also a very specific address here. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Also a Greek imperative. It's a command. Thou shalt not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Okay, this word here is translated in the ESV as the same exact word, provoke. Now, in the original Greek, it's a completely different word. It does mean provoke, but it, get, it really, more specifically, it means to irritate, to exasperate, and to do one of my favorite words that I, might be the best word that I can think of that I like to do to this cat is vex. To vex. All right, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Fathers, don't irritate. If we can draw on Colossians, don't irritate your children. Don't exasperate your children. Don't vex your children. And then there's the added motivation here in Colossians, lest they become discouraged. Okay, let's, let's draw those things in and get a good sense of what we're talking about here. Don't make your kids angry, fathers. Don't irritate your children. Don't exasperate your children. Don't vex your children lest they become discouraged. That's helpful. Colossians chapter 3, I think it's cool. It gives us a few more um, synonyms there. We can kind of get a sense of what's going on with that word provoke. But there's still not tons of insight. I mean, really, I'm thinking on this passage for weeks now. I've been kind of preparing for this Sunday. I've had some time off here and there, and I've been looking ahead, and there's not tons of insight there. I'd like to find a word that, or some um, document that would help me make sense of what that word really means in the biggest sense so I can help fathers. But maybe we don't need that instrument. Maybe we don't need that additional help because maybe we have fathers or are fathers. Maybe we don't need somebody to help us understand exactly what's going on there because maybe we can see that there's nothing new under the sun and we can realize we've got plenty of examples around us and plenty of times where we are that example. I know of at least two fathers that's given, that have given me a lot of insight into how this might go down and provoking our children to anger, me being one of them and me having one. So let's consider that maybe, just maybe, fathers are addressed directly in this passage because fathers are more prone to actions that provoke, that anger, that irritate, that discourage, and vex their children. Maybe it doesn't need a whole lot of explanation because we all, we all know some fathers. Maybe it's fathers who are prone to harsh discipline. I've called, I've had a, a term for harsh discipline over the years that I've called harsh parenting that I've called John Wayne parenting, you know, this sort of scare our children into obedience, you know, sort of um, frighten them into virtue is sort of the concept behind John Wayne parenting. And maybe it's men who more readily use force and fear 
than patience and gentleness. I've been on the receiving end of it, and I've dished plenty of it out from time to time. And I find that it may be easier for dads to bark and boss and command and yell and make an attempt, at least, to scare our children into virtue. I am a dad, and I have a dad, so maybe it doesn't need a ton of explanation. And I bet I've left my kids, as I was left at times, provoked to anger, irritated, exasperated, and vexed. It's probably a good thing that this command was directed at fathers. I just came out of the Marine Corps when Christy and I was, were married, and um, I went from active duty to being a, an Army dependent. Christy was a physical therapist in the Army, and I was in graduate school. And it wasn't long after that that we had Evan, and it wasn't long after that that I realized that I cannot speak to my children like they are Marines. And you know who helped me with that is my bride. There's a room full of men here that would do well to listen to their brides and let their brides help them knock the rough edges off. Because, man, we have them. We have them. I don't think I cornered the market on that. Maybe this address was pointed at fathers because it's fathers who are more prone to excessive demands. There's no way of knowing exactly what life was like 2,000 years ago in Ephesus, but I suspect that there was some version of the Roman dream. You know, the Roman version, maybe I should say, of the American dream. Where Roman men were out there pushing and driving and chasing and clawing at what they think they're supposed to be and what they think they're supposed to do and the demands that are placed on them to earn and to deliver and to provide, to pay mortgages. I don't know if they had a version of that then, but we've got a version now to pay bills, to pay car notes, car- chariot notes. I don't know. <laughs> right? I don't imagine there was an absence of demand on them 2,000 years ago. I suspect it was just as demanding then as it is now, maybe more so. I think we can go about buying food pretty easily, but maybe 2,000 years ago, even food would require some demanding efforts. For a father, So a father might be prone to carrying those demands home, recreating a demanding environment for our kids just because. Telling all kinds of stuff on me this morning. When Christy and I were married and the kids started to get old enough to ask questions, you know what my, my given answer was to any question or request? No. No. And Christy's response every time was, yes, of course. Can we stay up 15 minutes late? No. Like you're asking to go to space. I mean, I don't, of course you can't. And she's like, why do you always have to say no? And I'm like, I want them to be really happy then when they hear a yes for life to be like, awesome. I'm so blessed. Life is so good in the McGraw home. I heard a yes this month. My thought is I'm going to condition them to the demands of life by letting them hear no a lot. Man, I suspect that I left my kids at times vexed, provoked to anger, discouraged. We don't need to carry a demanding environment home and recreate it for a row of little kids. Maybe it's fathers who are prone to abuse of authority. Maybe it's more fathers than mothers. This is a way I think abuse of authority can play out. Maybe it's fathers more than mothers who can take a tough day out on those at home. Man, I know mothers can do that too. I get it. But man, I know dads can be really, really good at it. It might be these same exact fathers that show extreme and excruciating long-suffering with the most difficult of people in the workplace. And then get home to our loved ones. The least to blame for your day. And, they, and we take it out on them. Anybody else ever guilty of that? Man, I know dads can be great at it because I've done it and I've received it. I know we haven't cornered the market. But I know of at least one father who's done this very thing. And let me just point this out. I don't think kids are oblivious to the occasions when we can glad hand the most difficult of people and then talk to other people, our own children and our own loved ones, like they're trash. I think our kids are paying attention. 
man, maybe it's fathers that are more prone to abuse of authority. where We feel like we can come home and do that because it's our home. Maybe it's fathers who are more prone to condemn and criticize and humiliate. I think it's interesting that wives get a bad rap for being nagging. And that's something that's always attributed to women. But man, fathers, we can do a great job of it with our children, hounding our kids about their weaknesses and shortcomings. What's the difference? What's the difference? Man, we figure we can guilt them into virtue. It's really just going to leave them angry and discouraged and vexed. Maybe it's fathers more than mothers who miss the different personalities and distempers of our own children. Okay, maybe it's fathers more than mothers who can't notice, who'd miss that there are nuances, that there are different, um, that our children each have different ways that they receive instruction, different ways that they can be spoken to, that we have some children that have very sensitive, soft hearts and ears, and then other children that you can give a strong scolding to, and then they're like a golden retriever coming running back five minutes later. Man, I think it's men who can miss that. Each of our children are different, and that we can treat them fairly, yet surgically dealing with their differences. Moms are paying attention to stuff like that, and maybe fathers, not so much. Maybe it's fathers whose attitudes, actions, words, and tone that can be the most encouraging can also be the most damaging and the most harmful, leaving children exasperated and vexed. So maybe it's fathers who needed to be reminded of this most in ancient Ephesus and in modern Greenville. Fathers need to be reminded to not exasperate and discourage our children. I do have a few helps for you. I need these helps, and I have three of them for you for our fathers. The first one is a scriptural help. You can turn to Proverbs chapter 15. The second is a reminder, and the third is going to be just a helpful perspective. Proverbs chapter 15. For years, I have considered Proverbs as a great resource that I really want my kids to read. Because there's so much in it about how kids ought to respond to their parents' instruction. Right? I mean, what a great instrument for that purpose. But I want to pick that instrument up and sort of show you a different angle for fathers in here in the next couple of minutes. I'm going to read from chapter 15, but I want to just show you a few glimpses over the course of Proverbs that I think are going to deliver, that are going to give you some help in not being exasperating with your children. Proverbs chapter 1, just listen to these passages while you sit there in verse 15 and just listen to the tone of what's being said. Imagine a father speaking with his son. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they're a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. That's chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Chapter 2, my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, you hear this gentleness, you hear this sincerity, you hear this earnestness of a father speaking to his son. Chapter 3, my son, do not forget my teaching. Let my heart, let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. He doesn't sound like John Wayne to me. Man, he sounds like a man that loves his son and wants to give him some good instruction. Chapter 4, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. 
Chapter 5, verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Verse 7. O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Chapter 6. My son, if you put up security for your neighbor. Chapter 7. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Chapter 7, verse 24. And now, O sons, listen to me. And be attentive to the words of my mouth. It is all through the book of Proverbs. Son, please listen. Please heed. Please hear. Chapter 13. A wise son hears his father's instruction. Now verse chapter 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge. But the mouth of fools... Pour out folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but for perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A fool despises his father's instruction. You can treat Proverbs as a lesson for sons. But fathers, you'd be missing it if you didn't realize it's also a lesson for us of how to speak to our children. For we too can give them a soft answer instead of a bark and a yell. Man, we too can give them a gentle tongue for it's a tree of life for them too. Man, we want them to respond to our instruction that way. But man, let's let it start with our lips and our tongues and our mouths and the way that we Speak to our children. Ephesians chapter 4 has a passage in it that I think is a nice reference as well. And just consider this passage, chapter 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. From our very mouths, men, fathers... We can vex, we can provoke, we can irritate, we can anger, or we can actually give grace. Man, building up words. That's the first help that I've got for you, fathers, is use words that build up. As much as you can harm, you can also help. Man, you can build them into something. The second help for you is just um, a reminder. These children... I don't want you to miss this. I think it's really important, and it's really complex, so you really have to pay attention. These children, your children, are little, miniature people. It's profound, isn't it? I'm glad we took the pregnant time, the pause there for us to really get that. They're little, miniature people, little wee Human beings. Man, it would do well for some fathers to be reminded that our children are not machines that we can fix. They're not projects that we work on. They're not tasks that we're about. They're not furniture. They're not interruptions. They're not property. They're people. Man, it would do well to be reminded just something so simple that they're as human as you were at their age and are now. So speak to them like little human beings. Speak to them like little image bearers of our God. Man, that's a great place to start. You remember the tone of this whole thing? Submitting to one another. Fathers, we could do with some submitting to our own children in the way we speak to them. It's just a reminder. And the third thing, I think, is a helpful perspective. I always thought my parents were old. When I was little, my parents were ancient. I needed them to help me with everything. I remember like when I was a kid, I don't, I'm trying to remember how old I would have been in my less than 10 years old. They're in their 30s. And that's like, ah, they're old people. I remember a math Lesson where I was supposed to learn how old, I, figure out how old I was going to be in the year 2000. I was like, that's ancient. I thought that way about my parents. There's like a Grand Canyon between me and my parents. Okay, 
for years until like December of this year. All right, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I turned 50 this year, okay? And I posted something on Facebook about turning 50. You know, it was the easiest thing I ever did. I just kept eating, you know. I kept sleeping at night, and bam, I'm 50, you know. And my mom weighed in and said, congratulations, you're half a century old, and I'm three-quarters of a century old. And I'm like, hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm closer to her now than I was when I was a little kid. It used to be a grand canyon of distance between us when I'm a little wee kid and she's a 30-year-old. And now that we're both our age, it wasn't lost on me. It's like a ditch. It's not Grand Canyon anymore. (laughs) It wasn't lost on me on Christmas meal where we got up from the table. Well, before we got up from the table, I noticed that our hair is just as gray as theirs. (laughs) And I also noticed that we all got up from the table a little slow. Man, what that does for me, let me just just give you a real practical help for you, fathers. What that does for me is it makes me realize I'm just a few steps behind my parents. I've been reading through Genesis and just my daily Bible reading. I started a million times and I restarted in, in October with McShane reading. I've been reading through Genesis and... and um, I've been reading, you know, you got the story of Abraham and you got Isaac and you got Jacob and you got all his sons and... You know, they're chapters apart, but they're, you know, a day or two readings worth. (laughs) I'm just a few steps behind my parents. And what that does for me, it makes me realize those three right there are just a few steps behind us. It feels like a Grand Canyon night right now, maybe less so since the adults are getting to be adults. But someday it's going to feel like a ditch. And what that does for me is it makes me want to treat my children not like they're children all the time. I want to treat them like brothers and sisters. I've heard many of you baptize your own children like I baptize you, my son or my daughter, and I raise you to walk in newness of life as my brother and sister in Christ. Let's treat them like brothers and sisters and speak to them like brothers and sisters. And here's a whole new crazy notion. Actually, maybe treat them like friends. You can still be a parent. And be a friend to your son or daughter. You're going to spend the rest of your lives where you're this far behind each other. So don't do so much damage right now by the way you speak to them and the way you move in the home that they don't even want to be your friend when you're adults. Man, I love that perspective. That travels for me. Man, I want to treat them well now because they... They may be wiping my nose someday. They may be wiping something else someday. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I want to treat them well. Because they're my friends and I enjoy them. They're my son. My sons and my daughter. Man, I really enjoy them. Man, that's a treasure. Fathers, you got a bunch of potential friendships right in your own home. It'll serve you well for life. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. It doesn't accomplish what you think it will. Okay, second command. Let me regroup. Second command. First command, we got out of the way. We sort of exhausted it. I hope that you have some good helps there. Um, Let's deal with the second command. This is a positive command. Okay, so that's what we're not going to do over here. Thou shalt not provoke your children to anger. This is what we shall do. Thou shalt, we're going to put a T on the end for emphasis. Thou shalt bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay? The word bring them up, okay, or the phrase bring them up, means to nourish. I mean, you can really consider their fathers what that might, what that might imply. Nourishment, I don't know about you, but my nourishment is ongoing. Like daily. <laughs> I don't miss a meal. It is even more than once a day. It's like really often. So that might inform the kind of tone or the character of the instruction that a father should have with his children is that it's nourishment. It should be ongoing. It should be daily. It should be varied. It's not just dessert all the time. Sometimes you got to eat some squash. Sometimes you got to deal with some hard stuff. But it should be nourishment. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Here's the diet. 
discipline, instruction. Now, the word in the original language for discipline is the word padia, and it actually means discipline, instruction. So I don't, I'm not a fan of this translation here because I think there's a word that's lost. Okay? The word for discipline, let me, let me restate that. The word for discipline here okay, in this passage is a Greek word that means discipline and instruction. Okay? And it says discipline and instruction, but then there's a word that's lost. Because the word actually that's translated for instruction is a totally different word, and it means admonishment. Okay, so what I think is cool there, if we can really bring those things out and, and consider discipline, instruction, and admonishment. If we want to have a good translation here, it would be bring them up in the discipline, instruction, and admonishment of the Lord. That gives a sense of things that work, uh, that, that are negative and are positive, that are corrective and punitive and uh, constructive and affirming. That a father's handling of life with his kids should be characterized by times where you do have to admonish, you do have to correct. It is punitive, but other times that are encouraging, that are informative, that are training, intentional training and instruction. The word paideia in, or the concept of paideia in ancient um, Rome was a very developed, or the ancient Roman Empire was a very developed concept. It would be like having the concept of a curriculum without the curriculum. That's how developed the mindset of a father teaching his own children was in ancient Ephesus and the ancient Roman Empire. Here we are 2,000 years later. We're so much more evolved and so much brighter and smarter. Are we really? Do we have that intentionality? Do we have a concept of padea, this teaching and instruction that one of my primary goals in life is to teach and instruct my child? And raise my children up? Man, they did 2,000 years ago, and I think we're called to here. Discipline and instruction and warning and admonition. Fathers, we nourish our children with correction and instruction, admonishment and praise, vegetables and dessert, and everything in between. And now this phrase of the Lord. Man, this is, I'm just going to tell you, this is a treasure. Of the Lord, the way it looks, you know, if you look at it and you look at the translation, you know, it looks like, okay, we're going to raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The, the, the Lord is like the diet itself. It's like the food that we want them to eat. That makes a lot of sense. That sounds really good. And there's nothing wrong with having that concept, but that's not what's being said here. This phrase, of the Lord, is a genitive. Okay, there are two different types of genitive. Just a little brief two-second class. Don't tune out on me. I promise you it'll be worth it. Okay, there's something that's called an object, objective ten, genitive and a subjective genitive. Okay, if it were, this were an objective genitive, it would be train them in the instruction, the discipline and instruction about the Lord. That would be an objective genitive. Okay, train them in the discipline and instruction about the Lord. Okay, that sounds pretty good, but that's not what's being said here. What's being said here is a subjective genitive that instead would be translated, train them in the discipline instruction that belongs to the Lord. All right, this is crazy good. I'm going to read three different versions, three different translations. So, fathers, you can get what's being said here because it is seriously potent. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that belongs to the Lord. Here's the next one. Fathers, bring them up, or bring up in, excuse me, bring them up in the Lord's discipline and instruction. Okay, here's, here's what I think is the most illuminating one right here. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction for the Lord. All right, fathers, if you want to get a sense of what's really being said here, let me just, just kind of give you a visual. It's like the Lord says, okay, I'm going to give you something, fathers that I want your children to have, and it's me. It's not just about me. It actually is me. I'm giving myself to you fathers so that you can then pass the mantle to your children. It's not just about him. It is him. The discipline and instruction of the Lord has been given to you you are mediating Christ to your children. How about that, fathers? Does that scare you a little bit? Does that make you swallow hard? It should. It should. 
there's no place for this. Remember the visual I was talking about at the beginning? There's no place for this. Oh, what time's lunch? You say you love your children. If that's all you got for your children is your hands in your pockets and you bring home a check, you don't love your children. A father that loves his children trains them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That's how you love them. And you got to take your hands out of your pockets. Man, I think that travels. I love that. Now, I want to just acknowledge it's hard when you're doing life, okay? The American dream, the Roman dream, whatever you want to call it, call it a ham sandwich. It's there, and it's demanding. Deadlines, bills, life is after you 100 miles an hour. I totally get it, so I have four helps for you, okay? Four helps. They're, they're simple, not easy, okay? Here's the first one. Have your children in church. It's not about attendance. It's about attending to your children, okay? I don't know who's here. I haven't counted how many people are here. I'm sure somebody's doing that just so we can kind of know whether we're in trouble with the fire marshal or not. <laughs> but that's not what we're about. And that's not what you should be about, children. I'm not our parents, I'm not talking about you making sure your kids have perfect attendance. I'm talking about you attending to your kids by having them in church. In this same very book that we've been in, Ephesians, there's a passage that tells us that there are some gifts given to the church, some human gifts given to the church. I'm sad to say that I'm one of them. It's, it's pastors and teachers. I can't, you could say, just take the person out of it, and you could say there's some gifts given to the church of people that have time and have some resources to pour themselves into preparing a potent message and lesson every single week. If that's the case, and this is where that goes down, have your kids there. <laughs> what a great start to having them trained up and in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. If you know that they're, they, they can potentially be poured into if they're there, have them there. Man, I love this new hour that we have going this morning. This new Bible study hour. It's yet another opportunity for your kids to be poured into. So have them in church. Second, talk with them about what they're hearing and they're learning. It's surprising the effect that a father's interest has on his kids. You'd be amazed, fathers. You think they don't care? Man, they care. Third, encourage them in disciplines of reading and prayer. Men, if you don't read your Bibles, how can you expect your kids to read their Bibles? Like, seriously. I mean, what a great place to start. If you want your kids to be about... A relationship with the Lord through reading, regular reading. But you, I don't have time for that. I got, I got a bill, you know, the American dream. <laughs> I got stuff that's, you know, breathing down my neck, all these demands. But I want to encourage you to do it. Fathers, how about you start? McShane Bible Reading Guide. I have an app on my phone. It's so satisfying every day to go, boop. I love it. I love checking blocks. And it's like a little digital check. Uh, Genesis chapter 48. Yeah. Yeah, bam, I got something accomplished today. I love it. But it's more than just getting something accomplished. I actually enjoy the Lord while I'm doing it. The, the clouds don't part. I don't hear his audible voice. But I commune with him. Fathers, how about you start by doing that yourself? It would be amazing what your kids might catch seeing that. And lastly, in this it helps, is to lead your family in a catechism or regular Bible reading. If you feel like, man, I'm so inconsistent reading my Bible, so inconsistent in, in prayer, how about saying, okay, family, these nights of the week or these days of the week, we're going to sit down and I'm just going to read a chapter in the Bible and we're going to talk for a little bit and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that you'll have a good day. I'm going to pray that you do a good job on that test. I'm going to pray that you feel better. What, what a great place to start. If you need a tool to help you with that, this is a great one right here, the New City Catechism, a beautiful tool for you. There are 52 lessons in here. 52 catechisms. There's even a bookmark. Isn't that crazy? I love stuff like that. Bookmark, where you find your page, you put your bookmark in there, and you bam! 52, you have like one every week. And you can um, talk through it with them. There's actually an app that goes with it, and we're not associated with it, by the way. I'm not trying to promote something. An app that goes with it, with a devotional and some helps for you as a dad to guide your family through something like this. Brad referenced a catechism last week. What a great tool 
What a great tool for us as a people, for you as a family to be walking through catechism. Let me just be honest with you. In the McGraw home, we've started about five of these and never finished a one. But you know what's a failure is never starting. That's a failure. If you started and stopped and you started and quit and got distracted, pick it back up again. It's right there. Nobody's saying, oh, see, you never finish anything. That's Satan. Okay, and the Bible reading. Let me just tell you that too, dudes. If you're like, man, I started a Bible reading last year, but it didn't follow through, and I stopped and I quit, well, okay, then I guess it's just the end of the world. Never pick up your Bible again. How dumb. Start it again. Start it again. It's that simple. Okay? So, fathers, thou shalt not provoke your children to anger. Rather, bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Two commands. Simple, not easy. And they are equally important, equally authoritative. If you do one and not the other, you're really going to make a mess. This is just the last thought before we go into the supper. I just want to give you a brief glimpse of what it might look like. If you bring them up at the discipline and instruction of the Lord, but provoke them to anger in the process, you know you can do that, right? You can bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, yet do it like a big jerk. You could create children that can't wait to bail on the faith whenever they leave your, leave your home. Okay? The do's and don'ts of the Bible aren't the faith itself. They're merely just an escort that guide us into relationship with a great God. What a great opportunity you have to guide your children into that by not provoking them uh, to anger in the process. The second possibility is that um, if you're careful not to anger them, okay, okay, you're careful not to anger them um, um, and vex them, but there's no instruction of the Lord, okay, okay, if life is just great in your home and it's just happy-go-lucky and it's all about making them happy, but there's no instruction of the Lord, then you could end up having a bunch of happy pagans, okay, who are great at worldly stuff. Who can throw a great curveball, but then can't handle when a life throws a curveball at them? Okay, a nice little visual for you. Nothing wrong with curveballs. Nothing wrong with baseball. But if your goal in life as a dad is to teach them how to disassemble and assemble an engine, but they don't know their way around God's word, you've left them ill-equipped. They can save some money at the local auto mechanic, but they can't go the distance when somebody gets cancer and dies, or somebody leaves their marriage, or something really hard is thrown at them. Teach him how to assemble and disassemble an engine, but teach him how to navigate this book and teach him the greatness of the gospel and who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. That's the good stuff. That's the cream. And the last possibility, if you discipline and instruct them, sans Lord. Okay, I've kind of been hitting on that a little bit. If you discipline and instruction, instruct them, but leave the Lord out of it, okay, you could end up having kids who grow up to be law-abiding Clean-nosed kids with parted hair, shirt tails tucked in, who are effectively respectable pagans, okay, who are believing a moral gospel that they can somehow earn their salvation. It's a moral gospel that, apart from being really disappointing, by the way, is really bad news, and it isn't our gospel at all. It's tantamount to godlessness. Both of these commands are equally important. Let me pray. God, we are thankful for our time together this morning. We're thankful for these few minutes that we've had in Bible study and then in corporate worship together. Lord, we pray that in all of our efforts that we entrust every bit of it to you. Lord, I entrust this sermon to you. I entrust these thoughts and helps and observations and insights to you, Lord. I entrust this people to you. I entrust these fathers to you, Lord. I pray for men in this room that might be discouraged, that might feel like, man, I've really fumbled it. Or that we can see fresh mercies tomorrow morning and we can pick them up like manna, enjoying a good God that makes all things new. Lord, we love you and we trust you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's distribute the elements.